0: There we go. All right. Now we're good. Right. Good morning again, everybody, and a pleasant good morning to you wherever you may be today. I hope you are safe and that you uh, survived the storms last night safely. For those in and around Spartanburg, we've had some violent weather uh, this spring, and And more of it last night, but a beautiful day uh, right now. I do hope that uh, you are taking time to uh, worship and and pray uh, during this time that we have a little extra time at home. And and of course, I do hope to see you all uh, very, very soon. I don't know when that will be. Yet, but in the meantime, I pray that uh, what we do here on Sunday morning uh, will uh, benefit you in your walk with God, and and that uh, we can continue uh, to grow in God and His grace. And as we do that, uh, let's pray, Heavenly Father. Again, uh, we uh, meet in this way. Uh, away from each other and and yet uh, we are together as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. and so as we uh, continue to uh, do church this way and and uh, look in your word uh, in this way, we ask that you will speak to our hearts, that you will, help us grow. Uh, We do continue to pray uh, that all of those who are uh, doctors and nurses and medical personnel will be safe as they continue to uh, work uh, with people and and fight uh, this virus and and comfort those who are ill. We pray that this virus uh, will be over soon and that we can all meet together again as, as a family, as, as we're intended to do. Uh, we know that time is coming, and we ask that you give us the strength and the patience and the grace to get through this time together, and uh, that you will uh, continue uh, to work in our lives, uh, including this time as we look into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And we will continue in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we are in Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, we started last week with some general information about uh, Hebrews. And there are some mysteries as far as who wrote it. Uh, to whom is he writing and, and where are they located. And and there are uh, things that are still mysteries. Um, uh, we don't know some of those uh, answers, uh, but we do know this, uh, that he is writing to Jewish Christians, and these Jewish Christians, they, they know the prophets, and they know the prophets to be uh, reliable, uh, and as the writer of Hebrews started last week when we looked at the first couple of verses, uh, he showed Christ to be a superior. To the prophets. In fact, uh, one quote that I didn't use from last week, but I want to pick up on it this week, it helps us transition a little bit, is from Martin Luther. And Martin Luther wrote this, If the word of the prophets is accepted, how much more ought we to seize the gospel of Christ, since it is not a prophet speaking to us, but the Lord of the prophets, not a servant, but a son. Not an angel, but God. and That's what we'll get at this week, uh, but to continue with Luther. And further, it is not our forefathers he is addressing, but us. Quite clearly, the apostle argues in this way, so that every excuse of unbelief is excluded. And we will continue on with that today, uh, with, uh, as Luther said, not an angel, but God. So let's look at what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here. As I read Hebrews, I'm going to read the first couple of verses uh, in addition to the rest of the chapter. I know we went over the first two verses last week. I want to use them for context, and then we'll start to focus on uh, chapter 3 once I finish reading. But let me read Hebrews uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Long ago... After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The holy and inerrant word of God. There is something as uh, we look at this first chapter uh, that I want us to notice right away and and, uh, keep in mind. uh, First of all, because it's important, but second of all, it helps us understand this chapter a little easier, uh, but it's very easy to pass by. So I want to make sure uh, that we notice it before we we move on. It's in verse 3, and we will spend some time in verse 3. And it's that phrase, after making purification for sins. And I want to focus on that just for a moment because of all the things that Jesus did while he walked on the earth, all the miracles and and casting out demons and the healings and, and walking on water, all of those things that he did, the writer of Hebrews focuses on just one thing, and it's that making purification for sins. His main purpose is coming as our Savior, going to the cross, dying for our sins, making purification, rising again, and then, uh, then ascending into heaven. He's not merely a, a teacher or a great example or, or, or any of that. He's, he is that, but he, he's more. He's our Redeemer who died for our sins, and that's the aspect that's central to our understanding of Jesus, and it helps us in understanding this chapter, that we have this this man who came and made purification for sins and now is is seated uh, on on the throne on high, the ultimate, uh, the, the throne of majesty, So who is this man? Who is this redeemer? And the writer of Hebrews is clear up front and and actually quite startling uh, as he begins to tell us who this this person is. And and he uses two images uh, in verse 3. You'll notice he calls him the radiance of the glory of God. And then he calls him the exact imprint of, of his nature, and I want to take a look at these two images so that we have an understanding of what he's trying to say uh, when he calls Jesus the radiance of the glory of God. I, I want to uh, use an illustration, but I want to use it carefully. Uh, Whatever you use an illustration to try to describe Jesus or, or God. It's very easy to slip into to heresy, and, and I certainly don't want to go there. So I just want to take this in its most basic way to, to get at uh, what the, the writer is saying here. So with some care, uh, if you will imagine, you have a lamp, and, and you put a light bulb in this lamp, but the light bulb is burned out. It doesn't work. And, and so you put it in the lamp and you turn on the lamp. Do you have light? No, you don't. You have a lamp with a burned out light bulb, but you don't have light because light, you need radiance. Once you have radiance, then you have light. They're one and the same thing. And, and there's a couple of guys uh, from early church fathers uh, from the 300s who were uh, quick to point this out, and they did a a great job of of understanding uh, what the writer of Hebrews says. One of them is Athanasius, and Athanasius uh, writes this, Who does not see that the brightness cannot be separated from the light, but that it is by nature proper to it and coexistent with it and not produced after it? The lights and the radiance, they're, they're all one. Another guy from the 300s, Ambrose, uh, writes this, the light is in the radiance and the radiance in the light. Thus, the apostle has taught us to call the Son the radiance of the Father's glory. For the Son is the radiance of his Father's light, co-eternal, because of eternity of power, which the writer mentions, and inseparable by unity of brightness. It's inseparable. You can't have the light over here and and the radiance of it over there. The light and the radiance are are one, inseparable. And so he uses that uh, image of, of Jesus as God, and then he also uh, uses this other image, the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, Philip E. Hughes uh, notes that, uh, and I quote, the Greek word translated nature denotes the very essence of God. The principal idea intended is that of exact correspondence. Wayne Grudem writes, God the Son exactly duplicates the being or nature of God the Father in every way. Whatever attributes or power God the Father has, God the Son has them as well. He's very clearly calling Jesus God. God in fullness. And when we take these images together, the radiance and the, the imprint or the stamp, however you want uh, your translation reads there, it, it produces a truth that, that can frustrate our limited minds, and sometimes we, we try to make sense of it, but, but we have to understand we have a limited understanding, we have a, a finite mind, but, but when we take this together, the radiance and, and the imprint, uh, what we have here is the, the radiance showing the togetherness of, of God. Jesus is, is God, and then the Father is God, and, and we can't separate them. They're, they're, they're what one has, the other has. They're fully God. Equally God, and I'll put the Holy Spirit in there as well. We don't get to him until the, the second chapter, but, but fully God, and you can't separate them. However, when he uses the image of the imprint, it does show the distinctness because we can't see God the Father. We can't see God the Holy Spirit. We, we can for a while on earth. We could see Jesus and so we also notice there's a distinction there that, that Jesus did come and people did look at Jesus. You can't separate them, but there is some distinction. And, and like I said, it, it, it will frustrate our minds if we try to think too much about it. But as uh, one theologian uh, wrote, this image conveys identical correspondence. The Son of God in His divine nature is everything that the Father, the great King of creation, is in His divine nature. The deity of the Son is nothing more or less than that of His Father. And He possesses the same inherent authority over all. The answer Uh, that the writer of Hebrews gives us, who is this Redeemer of ours, is stunning. He is God. He was a man walking on the earth. He is a man in his glorified body, ascended in heaven. He's the God-man. And right now, as we see in verse 3, sitting in the highest place of honor above all creatures and superior to the angels and and the writer of Hebrews now will spend some time talking about uh, Jesus being superior to the angels and and the question is, why compare Jesus to the angels? Just the fact that Jesus created God created the angels shows that he's superior. Why this comparison well, Uh, We have to remember who he's writing to, and and these Jewish Christians, uh, just by uh, their Jewish faith, they they thought very highly of angels, and that goes back to the Old Testament, and and the angels did some remarkable things. In fact, Paul says in Galatians three that the Mosaic Law was put in place by angels. However, there were some that could go too far. In Colossians chapter 2, uh, Paul warns them to let no one disqualify you insisting on the worship of angels. And what had happened uh, through time is uh, some Hebrews in the, in the Old Testament and then Hebrew Christians as, as they came to the New Testament, um, they thought, and, and we have documents of this, Dead Sea Scrolls uh, mentions this and, and others, But they thought that there would actually be two messiahs and that one of the messiahs would be uh, subject to the other, but that both messiahs would be uh, subordinate to the archangel Michael and that Michael was actually going to be over these two messiahs. It was uh, some bad teaching that they were uh, trying to figure out and and maybe that is part of what he's he's trying to counteract is, is that thought. But while the angels are are good, at least as we think of angels, not the the fallen ones, but but the ones uh, we know, uh, angels as we think of them, and while they are good, uh, Christ is superior is what he's saying. And, And he gives us seven Old Testament references to make that point. And we will talk more about angels uh, next week. This uh, conversation actually carries into chapter 2. Uh, you noticed it ended with a question. Uh, and, and so we'll, we'll pick up on some of these ideas next week. But, but I want to just pull out a couple of points here that the writer of Hebrews makes in, in declaring uh, Jesus uh, to be God, to be superior to uh, the angels uh, in verses 5 and 6, uh, I'll just real quickly, the Old Testament uh, verse is being quoted. The um, uh, You are my son, that comes from Psalm chapter 2. Uh, an interesting one that we're going to spend a little time with. 2 Samuel 7 is uh, where we get to him, or I will be a, a, to him a father and, and he will be a son. Uh, and then uh, that one in in chapter, or in verse six, let all God's angels worship him. Uh, that actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, and just real quick, as a side note, in verse six, don't be distracted uh, where Jesus is called the firstborn into the world. And, and that uh, sometimes trips people up. What does uh, the firstborn into the world mean? Well, obviously, uh, Jesus was not the first baby born in the world. We have an Old Testament full of names we can hardly pronounce uh, that were born before Jesus. So uh, what is he getting at here? Uh, first uh, of all, uh, he's first in greatness. Remember our context. He's the one sitting on, on the, the throne, the, the, the throne of majesty on high. Uh, he's, he's first in, in greatness And also, he is, as he's called in Revelation chapter 1, uh, John calls him the firstborn of the dead. And Paul makes reference to that as well. He's the first with the glorified body. He is the firstborn of the dead. And remember, that's our context. This is how uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing of, of him, this, this redeemer who is uh, sitting on the throne. So, uh, so don't be thrown off by that too much. But let me go back to that, that uh, verse that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. I will be uh, to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And I just want to follow this one through a little bit because it's, it's very interesting. The context of that verse is David wanting to build a temple for God. And at first he mentioned it to the prophet Nathan, and Nathan said, sounds like a good idea. But then uh, God spoke through the prophet Nathan and is speaking to David And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 13, uh, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's talking about this son who's going to build this temple. And then in verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And then in verse 16, uh, it says your throne will be established forever. Now, David understood that God was talking about a couple of different things here. David understood that he was talking about this son, who was Solomon, by the way, who would build the temple, but also that he was speaking of something else coming down the road. He gives a prayer of thanksgiving after uh, this conversation with with Nathan, who was uh, speaking for God. Um, And in this prayer of thanksgiving in 2 Samuel Uh, chapter 7, verse 19, and I love how the New American Standard translates it. David, as part of his prayer, prays, Thou hast spoken also of the house of thy servant concerning the distant future. David understood, okay, God's talking about my son building a temple. He's also talking about something that's going to happen in the distant future. And Jeremiah, the prophet, actually picks up on that idea. Now, Jeremiah is writing a few hundred years after Solomon had already built the temple. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, starting at at verse 5, he prophesies, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a a righteous branch, and he shall reign, and this is the name by which he shall be called the Lord is our righteousness and that word lord there is the yahweh word the the word that the jewish people won't even pronounce because it is the word of the most high god and that is his name the lord is our righteousness, and Jeremiah Jeremiah writes that a few hundred years uh, after uh, Solomon had already built the temple, and then a few hundred years after that, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary about the birth of Jesus, and in Luke chapter 1 tells Mary, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so, when we, uh, when we follow this thought through from 2 Samuel uh, to the birth of Jesus, here's what we have we have this, this man who is the son of David. He is a man, he is the son of God, he is God. Yahweh, truly God and truly man. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That follows all the way through. And the writer of Hebrews uh, mentions that as well. And he he quotes uh, some Psalms for us here. In in verse 8, he's uh, quoting Psalm 45, where he's clearly calling Jesus God. When you look at that, your throne, oh God, is forever and ever. That's exactly what God had told David and what Jeremiah prophesied and the angel had told uh, Mary before the birth of Jesus. This God, his, his, his kingdom will have no end. In verse 9, uh, the quote comes from Psalm 102, clearly uh, calling Jesus Lord. Uh a Lutheran theologian uh, who passed away in 1999 uh, by the name of Oscar Coleman, wrote this, the Old Testament Psalms are applied to Jesus so that he can be addressed directly as God. Uh, To quote Hughes again, he writes, how inescapable is the contrast between the Son and the angels. He is the Lord God. They offer him worship and homage. He is the creator. They are his creatures. He is infinite in being and power. They are finite and dependent. And he hits at some of these with with some of the other psalms as well. In verse 7, he's quoting Psalm 104. In verse 13, he's quoting Psalm 110. And why spend the time on this? Why did the writer of of Hebrews want to spend so much time showing Jesus to be superior to the angels? And not only that, but to be so clear in calling him God. Well, we have to remember that the people that he is writing to, their faith is being challenged. There is persecution uh, in the air. And they're being tempted to make less of Christ. And by making less of Christ, they're making less of his salvation, neglecting his salvation. They're, They're being tempted to tie Christ into a few other things. Maybe we'll use Christ and some other things. Or, or maybe we'll just turn back altogether and go to our old ways because we still have the angels if we return there. We don't have that type of persecution, most of us, uh, right now. But we do have this idea of, of a different Jesus than the one that the writer of Hebrews gives us. This Jesus who uh, is merely uh, a great moral teacher, taught us some great lessons and and gave us some great stories. Or maybe this Jesus who's really a wonderful example of how we should live our lives. Or this Jesus that that, uh, wanted to tell us how much God loves us. No matter what, God loves us. Even when they were killing Jesus on the cross, he was talking about how much God loves them. And and all of these things are true, but he's so much more than that. He is our Redeemer, and he is our God. And and even well-meaning Christians can sometimes uh, in our mind, as we try to put things together, we can lessen who Jesus is some are very overt about it but but i i think a lot of people have this idea where they'll think okay god is 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 the father the father is is god he's he's god and then jesus is deity but he's just a little bit less somehow jesus and the holy spirit they we have god the father and then then these other two uh, just a little bit uh, less than that. But the author of Hebrews is not going to allow that and he makes it very clear up front. Jesus is God in fullness. In fact, in Colossians 2, that's exactly what Paul says. He is the fullness of deity in, in bodily form. So what does that mean? That, that that this man, that Jesus, is God. And perhaps even more astounding sometimes when I think about it is that God would become a man. Well, first of all, what we have here is, is that Jesus is the only human being to be God. He's the only human being to be God, and he is fully god and as he walked on this earth, fully man, born fully man. And even now, he's, he's, he's uh, in his glorified body, he's fully man, the firstborn. And yet God sitting on the throne. And what this means to us, and I'm going to uh, paraphrase uh, uh, a theologian here who writes this, All sonship, or all of our our, uh, being children of God, all sonship before God is concentrated in the person of Christ. And Christian believers are designated sons and daughters and children of God only by virtue of the fact that they are incorporated into Christ and made one with him. Jesus is our path to God. Because he is God. And when we get uh, to Hebrews, we're we're left much like Peter. When when Jesus in in, in John chapter six, when when Jesus was giving some hard teaching and, and many people just they didn't they couldn't figure it out. They didn't even really want to think about it that much. And, and many of them turned away. And Jesus saw just a few of his disciples there. He said, do you guys want to walk away as well? And, and we're like Peter now uh, when we would say, where else would we go? That's what Peter had to say. Where else could we possibly go? You have the words of eternal life. And we know who you are. And that's where the writer of Hebrews puts us. He wants us to know who Christ is. He is our brother, our sister. He is a, not our sister, but your sister's with him. He is he is human in his glorified body he's human and he is God sitting on the throne and our union with God is through Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word. We know that without pardon of our sin, we can never rest satisfied. Without the Renewal of our spirit, the renovation of our nature by grace. We could never rest easy. Without the hope of heaven, we could never be at peace. But all of these things we have in Jesus. Blessed be his name. May we continue to grow in our knowledge of our great Savior. Our great God our great brother, the one who came to purify our sins, the one with whom we can stand before your throne, knowing that we are forgiven through him and that he is on our behalf, pleading our case, praying for us, loving us on the throne of the Most High. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I do thank you for joining me this morning. And we will continue on with Hebrews next week. But just let me leave you with some words that Paul wrote to the Romans. Paul wrote this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the holy spirit you may abound in hope to the only wise god be glory forevermore through jesus christ amen claire <laughs> I do have this today, yes.